Now he's admitting it. He was like, I'm just a regular windbag. Good night. Yeah, but I'm getting the girl, Dad, so deuces. (laughs) Okay, now, like I told you before, Barney is rarely, if ever, inappropriate with this girl. But this is the scene in which he'll make his indecent proposal. He has to do it. Like, the whole movie is leading up to this moment. This was the moment for me when I saw it. I was like, he's totally about regret. He's rich. Put it on. Go live in Chicago alone. Hello. You'd like that, wouldn't you? You'd like it. Yes, but you you being a married man and all. Check it out, check it out. People wouldn't know. People wouldn't know. That's it. That's his indecent proposal. I'll offer you six hundred dollars if you sleep with me. Six hundred dollars in nineteen thirties money. <laughs> wow, that's, that's like a million dollars in nineteen eighty money. Nineteen ninety six money. What year was this proposal? I just love it because he's like he's talk in his mind. He's talking to the woman that he left. Right. He's not talking to the daughter. Right. Yeah, he's gone crazy, and he's just like, I regret my life, and I want to start over. Or I want to do, I want to go the other way right here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But with the daughter. Right. He's so like, it, you mustn't say these things. Okay, fine. I'll get a divorce. Doesn't he look like that actor, that uh, Italian actor that um was in Breaking Away, the father? Oh, Vincent. Uh, Gardenia. Gardenia. Yeah, he does. Incidentally, I really remember his face. I remember the hugging scene. He was the dad, yeah. He always got terrible food from his wife. Oh, he was on a diet. Did you guys ever hear the Glassnode Mills Employers Band? Worse. (laughs) Employers? Employers. They suck. There's only three of them. (laughs) The three of them, right. They they hired the employees band to cover for them. Huh, shake my hand. Hello. Well, the band's going on a, a break I've because they're been exploiting you for years. Welcome. Thanks for coming to my party. <laughs> Gotta shake the boss's hand in front of his family. Well, look, see the triangle. Yeah. See it? Oh, his yeah. Head? Oh, so that, we come and get it. That's the come and get it triangle. Oh, so we're almost done with this part. Now, look, this has got to be the mom, and I'm wrong, but look how old she is. She looks like Cloris Leachman. Wow, hookah, whatever it was. Do I have the mom's mm. info? I don't think so. Where's the band leader from? Was it the first band you did? Eric, oh, he's playing. He's playing that song we've heard over and over and over. Love me tender, love me too. Oh, there's the triangle again. It's not for come and get it. It's a coincidence. Oh. <laughs> it's actually a triangle. Michael, sometimes the triangle is just a triangle. Play that right. song again. But, you know, the one we've been hearing throughout the whole film. Francis Farmer. Oh, no. no, 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 no. 
I'm just waiting for him to say, come and get it at this point. Well, okay. It's not quite yet. We are way deep into Act 3, but... but It has to resolve itself. Yes, it's not time. That's getting a lot more creepy. Yeah, right. It doesn't end on this note. It does get... How are does you? How are you? How are you? Is that the right word? Because he doesn't do anything inappropriate. He just confronts and wants to fight. It's not... How do you do? How do you do? How do you do? She is yeah. not worth being married to. She's a mean, grouchy woman. Okay, this is... This is my low-life boyfriend who I'm going to marry, Mom. Paper cup guy? I don't want to be a family of a paper cup, Eris. They look great. Those outfits look great. Look at his friend. He's a pimp. Look at this guy. Oh, he's the dad. Oh, it's his niece and his daughter. Oh, hello. Can he's someone water good. my hat, please? Thank you. I'm just... <laughs> He's wearing the chuckle patch from Magic Garden. Why yeah. do you have flowers on your hat? Well, I didn't, but then it started raining. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> I brought you flowers. Oh, I see you already have some. Yeah. Are we going to see the any metal plates anymore, or is that gone? That's all gone, the metal plates. They had their purpose. They freed Lata from slavery. Yeah. Okay, guys, try the barbecue. Wait until I get my first. I get, I get first dibs on the barbecue. Free latte. During the production of the visit, Farmer was involved in a drunk driving accident. Oh when confronted by the police, she recalled, rather than answer, answering as Francis Farmer, I reverted to my role in the play and what? suddenly became the richest woman in the world. What? Shouting to high heaven that I buy this goddamn town. She was a kook, man. She was a kook. I love it. Okay, this is the scene in which it's like, will you marry me? Yes, of course I will. You could tell it's from the second director because he goes, you promise to that, Howard, that you hate Howard Hawks as much as I do? Yes, darling. He's a terrible, terrible director. Oh, I'm the happiest woman in the world. Now, look, yeah, Wilder did not really want to do this film at all, and he insisted that Hawk's name be as a director and listed first, which yeah. alphabetically made sense. He didn't want it at all, but I mean, uh, Mayor Sam, uh, Samuel was like, if you don't do it, I'm suspending you and you're not going to make another film. I'll pay you. This you was before it. Alan Smithy too, so they didn't switch the name out. Right, that would have worked. Yeah. Although this won the Academy Awards, so, you know, hoo-hoo. Everyone liked he it. wanted Hawks to get credit, though. He wouldn't do Alan Smithy. Like, he wanted... Well, Hawks no wanted... Actually, it's not in front of me, but one of them insisted, like, that's a film I never made. I think it was Wilder. Oh. It's gotta be Wilder, right? Yeah. yeah. Wilder. They both respect the directors. I mean... Come and get it. William Wyler. William Wyler. Berber had approved Jane Manford's script, which Hawks found wanting. He persuaded her and Goldwyn to allow him to bring in Jules Furtherman to do a rewrite. Hawks just like, while the cat was away, the mouse played. He 
just like, I'm doing this film the way I want, and you can lay in a hospital bed after your surgery. Right. Wow. It worked out in the end, but it wasn't the leftist, you know, okay, he's all over the house looking. That's the secretary who's been his uh, gadfly the whole film. He's like, ah, they got to be up. He wants to break it. Uh, I'm not sure if he's looking for Lada or looking for them both together to break it up. No, I think Della Reese is an actress in the crossword puzzle, and then Della Street is Perry Mason's secretary. I'm going to have to look that up, Carl, later. Uh Hey! Hey, what were you doing? The fuck is this bullshit? I was looking for lice. She's clean. (laughs) We were trading gum. Yeah. I'm going to punch you in the face. Oh, yeah, this guy's Uh, strong. We saw in the other movie. I'm going to hold your chin and punch your face. Anyone see a pile of trays? Let me get you to a staircase. Do you have any trays in the house? Ow! You. Ow! Come on and fight. <gasps> that was a good one. He won't what? fight him. What? He does. Because wait a minute, I'm in love with her, and I'm gonna marry her, and there's nothing you can do about it. Now she goes, don't hurt him. He's an old man. That hurts. That really hurts. That hurts. Ooh. Oh. Oh, I thought that would be the moment we realizes that he's acting like a lunatic. Yeah, yeah. He can't. Look at that face, man. Yeah. Why can't the script be about logging? Why must I be humiliated in this way? More logging. This More is logging. A left story. It's a leftist triumph. <laughs> the trailer is 100% logging. logging. Like, I really, when I watched the trailer, I was like, is this the same movie I saw 30 years ago? That's so weird. I don't remember the logging. I mean, I remember it was logging, but the love story is really the uh, interesting yeah. part. Here's the wife and i had it wrong throughout the whole film now he goes he for the first time like lets it be known that she was afraid he was gonna like leave her for lada we didn't get that throughout the whole movie and i think it's a missed opportunity right he's happy when she hears her son will marry her I don't care as long as it isn't you. Honey, you're the greatest. So she goes, it's time for everyone to eat, and they're not coming in. Would you please help me oh, get oh, them oh. all in? Oh, I got it. I got this one. I got it. I oh, right. oh, so the ending's coming. Let me get myself ready for it. <laughs> well, I mean, there is no further to go. He's been rejected. Her true feelings are revealed that he's an old man. He's realizing I've been a fool. I'm it's a pipe dream. It could never have happened. My proposal was indecent. And she's like, I got my man back because he got no choice. <laughs> you got no choice. You're stuck <laughs> with me. Yes, uh-huh. Okay, go ahead. Turn it up. Turn it up. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, come and regret it. Hello. Mon's ear is about to get 
Now, if there's a dog in your room, tell him this is not a wagon train commercial. Why does a rich person have a, a, belt, a triangle for come and get it? Love me tender again. The whole fucking film. See how he's happy? Yeah. It's like a resolution for him, too. That's. Wait, now he's not looking happy. He's no. Just leave. He's fine. There's tears behind that coming together. Well, that was the life that he turned. He turned away. Ah. Yeah. He's getting his son's getting the life he never had. Well, granted, the daughter's a and the money. A lot of Bostrom. Wow, Adam, what'd you think of this movie? Uh, I thought it was really good, actually. I'm not gonna lie, I still like it. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, you forget about the logging part, but um, yeah, it's really about the uh, relationship, right? Yeah. Like, I still think it remains true. I mean, obviously, I'm 40 years older than I was when I saw it, so I've lived the guy's life, and uh, right, you can see where I wasn't. I didn't choose one or the other. I mean, uh. You know, God chose me to have a failed business, but um, <laughs> no, but it wasn't like, you know, God, I was so scared that I would be poor and happy or rich and, and unhappy. It's in the movie, obviously, makes it seem like there's one way or the other. For his yeah. personal story, it was, but not for not his sons or not other people. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, it? I still think it's powerful. What do you guys think? Well, I thought it was it was very relatable because I married for middle class. <laughs> I should have married for sex. Okay. Right, right. Um, well, I re I'm with Adam. This was a good film. It was, you know, it's a shame that like we don't notice the logging because they changed everything. But no, I would say it's a good film, and I think Francis Farmer did a great job. And I didn't notice that there. No, that's not true. We do notice the tonal difference. There are two directors. There's a little stuff, you know, like yeah, the goo yeah. and then maybe some, but the goo felt like comic relief. Like, it's still but a very really professional. They have to fall in love, you know. Yeah. It's not just that they're both good-looking and young. Like, they have to have a moment. Like, he fell in love with their mom. It was that so, moment of the fight, the bar fight, which is more interesting. That's what I respect so much about the script is that he was not lovable. He was not, well, he was lovable, but he wasn't like a leading man hero that anyone would fall for he was klutzy and big-winded he'd say right. stupid stuff make a mistake fight his dad he did have a good killed. heart though he did make decisions like he bet 500 dollars in the 1880s and then gave 200 dollars to this stranger because of yeah. a story that he had this woman that was going to poison him so it was uh he he uh i don't know it's, it's a good movie if i didn't know the backstory carl some movies you would watch that had a terrible backstory, and you watch this weird movie, you go, "What the fuck happened? Why?" You know, like right, they all screwed up. Yeah, they screwed up. But I couldn't tell that from this movie. If I didn't know that it was two directors and that the the lead was hard to work with for everybody, and that was getting into these incidents, I would still think this is a good movie. You know, like yeah. I I think the the drama it was like a Twilight Zone episode where he realizes his regret, the way he was pushing his life forward. And that came across. I would love to see more logging politics that was taken out, but <laughs> the direction was fine. It was a good movie. Adam, uh, can you join us next week?
I'll take that as a yes. He, he's frozen. He has a bad bandwidth. He's frozen. All right. Well, Adam, can week. you yourself only join us next week? Oh, he's on mute. You're on mute. <laughs> oh, what? The mute button? What do I got to do? All right, I'm going to motion to the No, yeah, show. I'll see you guys next week as long as you do anything in black and white. All right, well, good news. Here's what the deal. Let's watch a dead-end kids movie, The Bowery Boys, one of those films. I'm okay. going to go ahead and pick one from there. I'm going to try to find the worst one that they have, and we'll watch it next week. And Mike, have some it. mercy. You know I'm going to really watch it like three times, so have some no, mercy. I'll do the research. I'll do sandwich. Oh, you, you want to do a switcheroo? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let me, yeah, I'm going to pick oh. a Bowery Street Boys movie maybe when they're the dead maybe end. i'll watch it maybe i'll change my mind what it maybe is maybe what is the new officer i'll well, look I'm at uh i'll look at wikipedia five seconds before we start recording uh yeah, that's mike, right. mike please just research the movie don't go to the library and get the bowery boys you know classic you know eight dvd box set and waste three weeks and then not have content so, the film that watching every single uh, Abbott and Costello movie did, before did, it did a, it did a little, but it did so little. But all Just, I did was I read a. I'm, I'm going to go to the library and research Bowery Boys, and I'm going to bring an extensive history of 1930s comedy. <laughs> but no, seriously, uh, Adam, join us next week. Audience, join us next week here on Mutiny Radio. Uh, we are stream every Sunday. To go to MutinyRadio.fm, uh, see what's happening. And uh, there's a donation button, and we have our archives there. Check it out. Check out our archives at the uh, Mutiny Radio, and don't forget to donate and check out what there's happening with Mutiny Radio. And check us out on YouTube and uh, podcasts, and go to uh, more information. Check out proudlyresents.com slash let's. All right, so uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, my brother Adam will join us, and we'll be watching the Bowery Street Boys. See you later. Bye. Let's watch a full-length Spiegelman's behind L-W-A-F-L-M-N-O-Y-T On Mutiny Radio Mutiny Mutiny It's pronounced mutiny Mutiny It's it's pronounced mutiny Mutiny Oh, my turn-offs are guys who say mutiny Mutiny Oh
Now let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman. Oh, Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman! Hey! Mike Spiegelman! Mike Spiegelman! Mike Spiegelman! Mike Spiegelman! Welcome to L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Wow, what a long acronym. That stands for Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. That is a long acronym, and it's been long for a long time of years. That is... That is Columbia's name. Six years, seven years. You know, uh, I think we're approaching. That's why uh, we have two listeners, LWA. What was it again? Oh, yeah, the other listener thinks they're listening to the LWAF podcast, long-winded as fuck, (laughs) which is two guys watching Netflix shows. So, but we're not that. We are going to watch a full-length movie on YouTube, as our acronym describes. Right now, we're on mutinyradio.fm every Tuesday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Following Found Round Sound with Scott O. Last week I called him Steve O. Oops. It's Scott O. Yeah, Scott O. Right. We're also right now on YouTube as we are every week. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, L W A F L M O Y T, for the full experience. But you can DYI it today uh, by listening to our podcast and watching a full-length movie on YouTube at the same time. That's the premise. That's what the acronym stands for. Why do you need to know this acronym, Carl? We have a podcast, too. You can find it by searching L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. So you have three options right now. You're listening to us on Mutiny Radio Sunday. You're watching our YouTube channel, or you're listening to our podcast. And all we ask in return why don't you donate some money to Mutiny Radio? Go ahead to Venmo and send a couple bucks at Mutiny Radio. Uh, Carl, gosh, good to see you, man. Good what movie are we watching? Oh, I should mention, Carl is a co-host. Gotcha, Carl. Uh-huh. That, means, that means he wrote the theme song. He produces and edits the show. He interviews a celebrity comedian who will do our countdown to the movie today. And he researches the movie every week. But for today, it's the switcheroo. Carl asked me to research and watch several times a movie and presented today. Carl, what was that movie? That was Green Grow the Rushes, 1951. Oh. Green, that's what you put in the YouTube search engine. Green Grow the Rushes, 1951. Oh. The channel we like is Aminat Oldies. Aminat Oldies. Terrific. Well, I'm really excited about that. Green Grow the Rushes, 1951. And you know what, Carl? Maybe if we're good, good, and I don't have to pull this car over, I will sing you the folk song, Green Grows the Rushes. Oh, okay. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, are you? I don't think you are. Well, I'm pretending. I don't think you want to know what this is about. You want to know what it's about? Well, there's rushes, and they grow, and when they grow, they appear green. Oh, so okay, fair enough. Do Do you know the the REM cover "Green Rush the Green Grow the Rushes"? Okay, so I did watch this film, and when I searched Hi. for it, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, just so I wasn't out of context, I didn't do okay. any. Re- I only watched right. it once. I hardly fair paid enough. attention. And I did see REM come up. Now I was an REM fan. I thought I knew everything they did. I did not know they did 
They did a song called Greengrass Rushes, and if I can understand what the fuck he's saying, I think it is the, the folk song, which I will sing at the end. Okay. You know how, you know how the 12 days of Christmas is Christmas is Christmas, but it's not Christmas because we're not singing about anything Christian? Yeah, it's the it's same song, the but mm-hmm. every single night there's a fucking something about religion in it. So we're going to have to wait till the end of this movie. Man, we got a packed show for you tonight. Not only did we have an amazing introduction, we are going to watch Greengrass the Grushes. Go ahead, into your searches. Search for it. Okay, in the YouTube search engine, everyone put in Green Grow the Rushes, right. 1951. And the channel we like again was, what is an oldies? You're not going to find a lot of channels. I'm a nuts oldies, right. It's the only movie version of Greengrass the Grushes. Yo. They did it again. Greengrass. Green. Rose, oh. the rushes. Oh, oh, God, fuck. And I think right. that that title has nothing to do with this film. I mean, they're in a marsh. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of Mr. Show. They could call it Flippity Do, you know. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's 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 crazy British farce. Uh, green grass aggressive. So go ahead, hit that link. Hit pause. Zero zero zero. What am I not pronouncing the name? Green. Pronouncing isn't the right word. You're using different words. <laughs> green grush the grushes grow right green grush the grushes 1951 grow. that's what you don't put in the youtube search engine listen so we did the introduction we told them where to go they got the link we're about to launch into a pre-recorded interview carl did with a celebrity comedian who yeah. is going to launch us into the movie so yeah. we have yeah and then we'll be watching the movie and at the end i will sing this fucking song all right so what a pack <laughs> You know, most of these bad movie podcasts, Carl, they're two hours long because they talk about the movie. Ours is two hours long because we talk over the entire movie. Right. right. Much better. All right. So we're going to kick this off, Carl. I am obviously very animated and excited to see this movie. So let us meet Carl. With He's going to talk to a celebrity comedian. We'll learn about the celebrity comedian. And then they will do the countdown. And when they say go, hit go. And we'll see you then. I'll see you then. Take it away, Carl. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Celebrity Comedian Countdown, this time with Bahe Ho! Welcome, Bahe! Thank you so much. Fantastic to be here. I'm Mike Spiegelman. I'm on this interview, too. I'm good friends with Bahe, and I'm glad to have you on the Celebrity Comedian Countdown portion of our show. Usually these interviews are conducted by Carl. We're going to pick your brain, Bahe. I know Bahe is a comedian in San Francisco, a very funny comedian, and also probably one of the best showrunners, has the best show, better than Cheaper Than Therapy, better than The Punchline, better than anything you're going to see. In fact, it's baked in the title, The Best of SF Stand-Up Showcase. Uh, Bahe, what led you into doing this? How did this happen? The show? The one yeah. that we've been doing for eight years? Um, well, I always knew I kind of wanted to have my own kind of nice it gives you a lot of artistic freedom to experiment in whatever way you want because nobody can tell you that like they don't want you doing that um except the audience and the audience hasn't told me that like the audience you know we've developed kind of a, a little bit of a following of people who, like know where the show is every friday and they come back and we feature the best comics in san francisco like mike in the title yeah it's right there in the title and uh it's fun. So how did it come about? Yeah, I just, I just, um, well, we did a show for Variety, and then I approached them afterwards, and I was like, because it went so well, it was awesome, and uh, I was like, hey, do you want to work on like a regular show? And uh, they said, yeah, and, and 
that. And it wasn't through, like, without, like, their great cooperation, it wouldn't be possible to do that. We certainly went through a lot of rough and rocky times. And I think, Mike, you were probably there for many of those. Yeah, um, I should say, full disclosure, I worked the door for Vahe uh, for several years. The Variety Theater is one of the best theaters. It is one of the weird hidden gems in San Francisco. It's, it's a critics uh, theater screening room where for during the 90s I went once uh, but they all you all the critics would see the movies there and it's run by the Variety Theater which is a charity group that does these charity runs and does the uh, Vahe's live show now what got you into comedy though Vahe I mean what was the reason what was your voice um so always as a as a child like in school I was like making people laugh and trying to like be silly I was like always like this kid you know and uh, I think I was always like trying to there was a lot of seriousness around me all the time i felt like i think i grew up in a serious environment and stuff and uh i was trying to like break through that and then in high school i did some like on stage stuff and it went like really well so then i was like oh i really like this and then i moved down to san diego and i started making trips to like the laugh factory um but there's a comedy store on pearl street that i would go to um sometimes and like other stuff and at that time i think i was like 17 when i went up at the the laugh factory the first time and i told this story on zoom it was funny because like i went up on stage i was really nervous and uh, i went to the bathroom beforehand and uh I, so i then i go up on stage and uh everyone starts like laughing and i think i'm doing really well but it turns out my zipper is down i didn't use my <laughs> classic right of passion right of uh comedy yeah and then the guy you know uh what's the guy's name like james Ever. I, I went up and like talked to him after that and I don't even know if he saw because I think he would have mentioned something about the zipper being down like you know how he gives advice to people so he told me like do comedy it was either a hundred more times or a thousand more times and then come back so in other <laughs> words don't come back for like a really long time but I think it was cool that he like did that for comics you know because he was like the owner I don't know if he still does that or what but I didn't go there a ton of times because it was like an hour away from where I was going to school. It, I got that feedback from him. It's like a cool thing. So, so yeah, it's the importance. I mean, the, the shows are for the audiences, but it also really does help comics to have like a kind of a solid place to, to go from. Pretty memorable. One of the things you guys did during the pandemic, I, so I was working with you and there was a big argument of whether or not you should run the show. I think it was March of 2020 at the time. And you guys went off and went virtual uh, doing interviews and then kicked off probably one of the most successful still running Zoom shows out there. How do you feel with having that title? <laughs> um, it's cool. I like it because I like doing the show and stuff. But I think Zoom comedy does have like a bad connotation because I think people associate it with the pandemic. And also it, it kind of removes like the person-to-person -person element of stand-up, which I think many comics, like, hold so dear. Um, but it is a form of human connection, and I think it will be around in the future. And I think, you know, based on the people that come, you were on the show last night. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and you had 100 audience members, and uh, uh, it was, they all have a kind of a community thing. It, it was it was pretty rock solid. You know, I feel like Zoom shows are like CNN. Like, once there's a national emergency, everyone's clicking on to it, mm -hmm. you know. We just have to wait for another uh, another pandemic, but I, I do think like the the cat's out of the bag, and and you guys run a real pro professional show too. Like, um, you had some notoriety because somebody fucked on uh, live. Can I bring that up? I don't I don't want to albatross you, but uh, aren't you the show where someone fucked on live? A couple fucked. 
Uh, yeah, but it was like a tasteful fuck, you know. It was like it was like one of those like softcore porn movies. It wasn't like a hardcore. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the way I, I think about that is like during the pandemic, we all did a lot of crazy, you know? <laughs> and I think we should all get like a pass for those couple years. I mean, geez, like there's enough holding people accountable for every little thing. It's like, can we get like a pass during the pandemic? I mean, yeah, they had yeah. sex. I personally don't think sex is like a dirty bad thing, personally. But yeah, a lot of people thought it was bad. And, uh, well, they came. They came to see the show. They came. They were focusing on stand up and yeah. any kind of extra stuff. They probably didn't appreciate it. Maybe I doubt it. But they they came for the comedy, so they they probably said this isn't the comedy. Let you know. Yeah, and I think our name can be misleading because it's a very like generic and kind of spe- but also specific name, you know. But we, there's a lot that falls under that umbrella. You know, we add like a lot of personal. Uh, kind of touch to what we do and i, I think some people yeah. are like they think it's like this thing and, and i think we've struggled with that because it is kind of a poor like marketing communication i guess in a way but uh but no that was fun and that was memorable and i don't regret that happening is there any like uh, suitable for work uh crazy accidents happen on, on the zoom show you want to bring up something that hasn't happened on a live show or, hmm. or... well like it's always funny when you like a joke and then you hear someone like flush the toilet you know like (laughs) um it really gives like uh it's always such a humbling experience to do zoom comedy like honestly i think it keeps my ego in check i have like a problem sometimes with my ego and i think it like has kept me extremely humble so um but yeah crazy stuff i mean the nakedness people like we get the zoom bombers and it's funny because the Zoom bombers, they come on and they mess with the show. And I'm like, you know, we have like an open mic portion of the show. Like you can actually do a set. You don't have to like do whatever you're doing. And then after I said that, I was like, we want you to be like part of the show. Like we love the energy they bring. Because like anybody who logs on to do anything, it's like they're bringing some kind of energy to what you're doing. And uh, so we kind of like worked a few of them into the fold. And they're like really young kids. you know. Yeah. And honestly, it's scary. Like I hope that's not represented all the young kids out there because like no that's all that's the young kids sure as a country then we're kind of like yeah so you got to pipe piper them into the right direction Bahe. you got to be the ringleader in the future so. yeah i think I wonder... comedy is great for that yeah. yeah one thing so your live shows and your virtual shows are kind of crash landing together can you talk about your upcoming live event uh, granted it's halloween right now but uh you have you and uh, christopher doing a show at the moscone center yeah, so we get an email from this uh, convention, uh, Fan Expo at Moscone SF, and they're like, do you guys want to stream, or no, they said record what you're doing on our like stage at the conference. And uh, I was like, hell yeah. I was like, but we do a live stream. And then he said at the Moscone Center, the Wi-Fi is really bad, so they, they don't, won't do a live stream. But they'll do like a three camera shoot recording where they like edit it, like people edit it and stuff, and it'll be seen live, like from the people who are there. And I was like, obviously, I really wanted to do that. So, so um, it would be a live, so people can go to the convention, see this live, and then you guys will edit it as a as a Zoom show, and then post it on YouTube or on your socials. Yeah, yeah, and I think like they're gonna give us a lot of freedom in terms of what we do because this has evolved, and now it's like a competition, you know. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. You competed last night. I thought I got three percent to the vote. Three percent. Yeah. 
that that's myself because as a comedian i learned you always vote for yourself you're you are the funniest person in the room at all times totally, otherwise yeah. no one's gonna say that so you always have to I'm vote so for yourself right. yeah there was yeah. some one new time comic last night god bless this gregarious gentleman uh as loquacious as he was yesterday He's like, I didn't vote for myself. And I'm like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, well, he's not a comic. That was his first time performing, so he hasn't learned that lesson. Yet. I know. Well, it's it's stuck, it's it stuck out to me. I didn't say anything because I didn't want to uh, influence. I didn't want to encourage him. But, you know, you got to be cold to the new comics. They got to have a thick skin. Yeah, totally. I think he'll learn that. And Because uh, if you don't vouch for yourself, like, everyone else is, like, got – you know, a lot of comics are mostly focused on themselves, you know? They're not really in the business of helping, like, other comics so much. And I get it because it's so hard just to help yourself. Well, it's also a sole proprietorship. And, and you have to be driven, which means you're going to fuck people over if you really want, want what you get. It's, that's why you're driven, quote-unquote. That's Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I've never fucked anyone over that I know of. Um, and... That's probably why I'm not successful. So like, yeah, you gotta yeah. keep your eye on your prize. You gotta put your blinders on, and you gotta fuck everybody around uh, around <laughs> you to get to what you want. And then you get it. And then you then you uh, I don't know. Fuck off. I don't know how it goes. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, Vahe, uh, I was, so let's let's get some uh, uh, links where people can find you as a comedian, uh, your dates, uh, and also your this show that's run away uh, live and virtual. Okay, yeah, so the virtual show is virtualcomedy.net. Um, virtualcomedy.com was taken, which is weird. Uh, Pandemic. Yeah, and then uh, bestofsfstandup.com is, like, for the live show. The classy room, and it's a classy show. It has great, great, uh, I mean, these are seats for critics to sit down and watch John Leguizamo in the past. So you know these are the softest, greatest ass hugging seats you're ever going to experience for a live performance like you know yeah. it's a great room which kind of works against it i think at times but... oh they get too comfy yeah because you don't want to be too comfy it's a common known fact right that you don't want to be too comfy during a comedy show i guess so. yeah you got to keep the cold the temperature cold cool uh so we got all your links we are now at the part of the uh interview of the celebrity comedian countdown where you our celebrity comedian will do a countdown to our movie this week Bye. Take it away. Okay. So, uh, three, two, one, go. All right. Well, thank you so much, celebrity comedian. Oh, we good. Are... You're going to act in this film. Yeah. Green grow the rushes, as I've been saying. <laughs> we have been saying a... something. I've been saying something. This is the marsh, Carl. This is great. No, this is the United Kingdom. Great Britain for sure. You know, I love I seen... the accents in this film. Oh my god! Yeah, absolutely. Because we have a powerhouse of actors in this movie, and two of them are definitely known for their voices, and they crank it out. I'm talking about Roger Livery, who is the captain in this movie, and then of course we have young Richard Burton. Yeah, very young. <clears throat> well, you know, he's a. I did a little research, Carl. I went to wiki and i went to imdb but for richard burden i watched a movie called in from out the cold in from yeah. in from the cold a portrait of richard burden it was a 1965 documentary that's that early well you know it was cleopatra was 63 so they were three ring circus at the time with that okay. marriage yeah so you know 
But, oh, by the way, any resemblance to any living person in the actual event, coincidence, would be a miracle. Oh, this must be a farce. This must be a bureaucracy. <laughs> and sure enough, here is a beautiful southeast England, Kent, and here comes bureaucrats. Oh, With their boom. bowler hats. Bowler hats and their glasses. Now, these three guys each have their own personality for bureaucrats, and they're going to, like, diss on each other throughout the film. It's a. I have to say, this film is really good with characters. Uh-huh. But I want to just call out this moment. So they they arrive to this marshy area, and they control this land. And the way it's shot, this guy Nigel Twist, the director. Look at this. They they hover over the land. They look like go- bureaucratic gods that own this area. <laughs> Isn't that a? Re- it's remarkable, right? To start this yeah. movie off like that. It's pretty cool. Look at them. They're gods surveying all they survey they're actually from the uh, agriculture uh the ministry of agriculture and fishery gotcha and they're down here in angela the i forget the name of it i have it but basically all this marshland is not being used for farming that is uh, people are starving out there people need their yeah you know and <clears throat> they talk a lot about the history so i guess like i don't know anything about america right so if you we watch a movie about the South and they believe that they run themselves and they have mm-hmm. a, a bootlegging Upon operation, it. you know, they're gator and they're doing, I would be like, yeah, makes sense to me. So this movie is kind of similar. So this area has history. Like uh, they talk about Henry III a lot in this. Yeah, Henry, Henry III, III decreed that they are, they govern themselves. They have yes. autonomy over themselves. So they have a charter. They have a uh, corporation charter, and they actually have Charter Day, which they're going to celebrate in this movie. But they have their own magistrates. Ma- they have magistrate. Their own... mm-hmm. Yes. And so this bureaucracy group is ready to take over the land, but they're going to butt heads with them. And one thing they're going to mention, which is very romantic, is that this area was known for bootlegging. Smuggling. Yeah, like brandy in particular. And but that was the old days, Carl. They don't have it now. But they're right. curious, like, how come these farmers have great houses and they don't have any? Uh, they have a couple cows grazing. That's about it. All right. So here's one of them. Uh, this guy is always sick. I've been sick for two years. I have this cold. He's got a two. He's got a cold. How's your cold this morning? Same as ever. Same as ever. Now, could it be allergies? Hmm. What do you think it is? Okay, so here's Gil, Colonel Gill, and he's being interviewed by Honor Blackman, who we don't have any Star Trek connections, but yeah, the closest we do, closest we have to a Star Trek connection is her, Honor Blackman, who has been in every single iconic British TV show. <laughs> I would say the Avengers. She's dressed okay. up in leather. Uh, she was in Coronation Street in the 2000s, famous sitcom. But, and how does she tie in to Star Trek ever so loosely? Well, she was also in Doctor Who during the 80s. Okay. And she was in The Saint with Roger Moore. So she Moore. doesn't tie into Star Trek what? at all. Yeah, Star Trek is, a, is an iconic American show. American, a show. Not yeah. But English. what the fuck is Doctor Who fucking The Avengers and The Saint? I mean, you can't They're get more Star iconic. But the, uh, <laughs> They're I would rather iconic. Watch, you would rather watch Star Trek over The Avengers. The, well, the that's TV an interesting show. question. It depends on my mood, but I guess yes. So if you want to jerk off to women in leather, then the Avengers. 
Well, Avengers is not going to have a green girl. Now, that's some jerk-off fodder right there. Okay. Wow, these are great conversations we like to have. So, uh, and she's also obviously known, there she is, for uh, playing Pussy Galore and Goldfinger. That's Whoa! Really? Yeah, that's her. Terrific! And she died 94 years old in twenty the year 2020. That's great, 94. That's a ripe old age. Now, he goes... What, are you laughing at this? And she goes, no, it's just the way my face was made. Looks like I'm laughing all the time. <clears throat> yeah, oh, yeah. Basically, the, the Marshland, you know, he's talking about this charter, the corporation. Liberty. And... <clears throat> Liberty. Oh, they're right, the Liberty. Liberty Charter. And that's why they called it that, because they they're autonomous. Now, this was actually based on a novel. A uh, guy named is Howard Cl uh, Chloe Clues. The best thing I can say about him is that Howard Clues. So like uh like Daniel Close Close, I guess. Okay, C -L -E -W. if it was Howard Clues, he'd be like the rich guy, the aviator. Howard Hughes. A lot of O C D. A lot of O C D. Uh no, it's like I guess Close, like Daniel Close, it's C L E W E. He also okay. wrote a book uh called The uh Long Memory. And one of the Oh, the Long Memory. When I got to the end of that book, I I close. I I close. Do you, do, what was the long memory about? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take that. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, his, that book was also about the the marshy south uh, east area of England. There is so like a, a reporter, and she was interviewing him. About these, what, these interlopers who are going to try to government whammy-jammy them, force them to have farms. Oh, ah, there he is. There he is. Let's take a listen. There he is. That's the voice. Richard Burton. Richard Jenkins, you know, he had a, yeah, he had a fucked up family. Well, he was, there was 13 kids in the Jenkins family. Okay. Uh, I have 11 siblings, but I, it was 13 because two died in their infancy before I was born. Okay, so they count. Yeah, he sounds like Kevin, uh, he sounds like uh, Catherine Hepburn. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was the second youngest. Uh their mom died after the final kid was born, and it was like a shitty area of Wales. He was from South Wales. I wonder and if all his big brothers were like, yeah, you little punk, and then he became huge famous. He became the biggest brother at Thanksgiving. They, they're like, hmm. This Move 1965 documentary interviews his oldest brother, who lost <laughs> his foot working in the pit. Like, you either worked in the steel mine or... Uh, my town was called, it meant it was a bridge because it covered two bridges. We lived under the bridge. <laughs> so his, his oldest brother uh, worked in the steel mill and he lost his foot working in the fucking coal pit. Mm -hmm. So, and they were making, he was the only one who could work in that family. And he was making like, I don't know, pennies on the dime, whatever. Right. It, was, it was some, so yeah, Burden did this for the money, man. Like he, so basically his story was that uh, he, when his mother died, he moved into his sister's house, who was married to some guy, right. and he got him into school, he got himself into Oxford, 
because there was an acting teacher, Mr. Okay. Philip Burton, okay. who saw something in ah. this young 14-year-old. Philip and, Burton, okay. Yeah. So he went up to Sis, C-I-S, which is the name of one of the sisters. Like, she's Sis, Sis female. Okay. And uh, they said, I would like to adopt you, uh, Richard. And she's like, yeah, take up. We got plenty. I don't know. She, she, it was heartbreaking. They talked really? to her about it. So he adopted. He became the Philip Burton was 20 days younger. Like there was a limit, like to adopt a kid to say, right. I'm dad, your son. You have to be exactly 20 years apart. They were 20 days shy of that. So he had to become a legal guardian for Richard Burton. Not a father, a right. legal guardian. Okay. So, and he went off and he went to Oxford. And when the war started, this movie is 51. So in 41, he got recruited in this thing. The RAF had, is it RAF? R-E-F? Royal uh, Air Force. R-A-F, Royal Air Force. Royal as fuck. Anyway, so they... <laughs> They had this program where he would act and then go to school for acting half the day and then half the time. And then the other half, he's in the RAF. Okay. So he started acting on stage. He became, oh, the globe. They offered me 10 pound a, a week and I took it. And then my friend said, Richard, you should go back and ask for more. And then the, he did. And then the producer said, fine. He goes, you talked to that old Welsh bulldog didn't you the other guy so yeah he was like he was doing shakespeare and he started acting in british films and this is one of the british films he acted in now mike we've got an audience you got to tell them what they're up to right now and how they got there is, it, is that how it happens well right now she's investigating this dubious uh well, no, sailor. no it's duck hunting he made it she made an agreement right the father she, she's the father like owns the newspaper or something and no no not even well the father's not alive is he he's in the boat right now the, it's uh -huh. her fa it's her father she's really more spying on richard burden though i think like she went out there well i thought it was a coincidence she goes out duck hunting because she mentioned it with her he agreed with her father and then she you know this boat she she it, it just shows up I, she doesn't know that Richard Burton's out there. Well, you know, her father does. Her father was a bootlegger, it's revealed. Her uh -huh. father was in on everything. And they're like, should we let her in on it? I told her. And they're like, she's just a mosh girl. And they're like, yeah, go ahead. You know. Now, what are they drinking? Like, they drink coffee in this movie, but it's I think she's coffee. pouring tea. Yeah, it's coffee. They're not oh, really. Well, I, no, I don't know. I don't know what the contents are. It very well could be tea. But every drink they have in this movie is coffee. They even it even ends with them opening a cafe. What well, well, what you're forgetting about all the booze, dude? But I'm not talking forget about. I'm talking about when they drink. They don't drink tea. They drink coffee. Okay. Okay. Now here we go. Here's old suspect. See, Going down the he river. just he just happened upon her. He did. She wasn't out there to spy. She, she will she now become a spyer. She'll start spying. Well, she was, she didn't trust, like, oh, I see, there she goes, this is me. And then he duck on, hey, Carl, what you doing? Quack, quack. Hey, quack, quack. Good, Carl, what you doing? Quack, quack. Did you <laughs> hear my duck impression? What's with the rifle, Carl? Yeah. Hey, where's your duck thing? You know, the fake ducks? Oh, I don't need that. Quack. <laughs> quack. I'm not the spending idea. my money on that. Well, you gotta, you gotta use a, uh, something that sounds like a seductress duck to call their attention so here we go 
Quack. Quack. So oh, Richard quack. Burton is letting the cock with the cold go by. Uh-huh. As he's sneaking around. Now look at him, man. He looks great. He doesn't look great in that documentary in 65. Uh-huh. He's like chain smoking. Now, Carl, you said you picked this movie because of Richard Burden. Mm-hmm. What is your association with Mr. Burden? Uh, well, uh, we're not lovers. Uh, I don't know where you heard that from. No, the truth is I was just browsing around YouTube. I think you were having some trouble with come. I don't know. But I came upon it. It was Richard Burton, a huge star. It's uh-huh. 1951, so you can trust that there's not going to be ads. It's in black and white, so it's going to take us to an earlier time. And it was full of accents. No, so but I'm ac- talking about, like, you You said you singled out Richard Burton. Like, what is your perception of Richard Burton? Like, No, no, I didn't. I, I just, he's a major star. And well, what is your fucking perspective of Richard Burton then? Like, oh, the- oh, I think Richard Burton's a bum. I think he's okay. a loser. Okay, that's what I want to hear. Yeah, no, well, he, they, he and, and, and Enabler Girl were just total alcoholics, and it ruined them. Of course, And look, of course they, they don't stay married and stuff. Okay, now, take him on the screen, and I think he's magnificent. Yeah. I think that that movie, um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? What a trip! I, I think that Richard Burton as an actor, and not in this film, is very powerful. He holds his own in this film. It's not his film to take, though. It's, no, it's, it's not. Captain. He's not the main character or anything like that, even though he's a big deal. And the, the script doesn't lend him to any heroics or, you know, impassioned speech. Uh, he's just not the guy of this film, but he's still good in it. Yeah. Now well, tell everyone what's going on, Mike. I was about to, Carl, but you, you, were, you spoke up. I'm sorry. I always. I know it's all right. We can switch the route back. You saw the movie. If you want to do it, yeah. All right. No, I saw it one time. Okay. All I know is she is now discovering the cache of smuggled alcohol. That's what I know. Okay. You're gonna have to let me let me lead this. Okay, Carl. Yes, please. Okay. And if if I pause or my timing is off, trust me. Just let me give me that that extra beat. Okay. You got it. You don't have to step on it. Also. Maybe you could shave once in a while. Okay. <laughs> yes, boss. Okay, boss. I will do it. All right. No, I'm I'm ugly. I always hate bosses like that. Did I ever tell you the time I had? Uh, we'll get back to this movie. He's basically telling her that they're smuggling booze, and they they get it. They get it in the net, and they bring it over, and it's been going on for ages. And they have like a backlog and all this shit. So I had I had a a show at a deli. And the boss like, here, come here, come into my office. Now I don't work there, so but I'm right, going into right. the boss's office. Right. And he closes the door and he's like, you know, Mike, you've been using the same jokes every time. <laughs> and, okay, here here we go. Here's the star of the show. Now you would say, Oh my god, fucking penguin's henchman escaped Batman. But he actually ha- – he's a captain, and this is appropriate wear. His ship is named the Frolic. Yeah. And he's wearing a sailor's hat, and he's got a sailor's uh, sweater that has the name of the boat. So this is very on the on the up and up. What's well, not on the up? talks in plural. The royal we, yeah. Oh, funny. I was just about to get to that. But, yeah, uh, he, we have just landed. So he always refers to himself in the royal, royal we. 
and that was our wife uh, when he talks about me. He also calls every woman a lily white. Yeah, that's this right. Is, it's a little off-putting because, you know, lily white is, is a coded word in America. It's like, you know, exclusion of black people or it's used to say it's a willy like neighborhood, but it was a code. So it's weird hearing him say it, but let's listen to his crazy voice. Yep, lily white. Now, I know this guy. Uh, he's famous for two reasons, Carl. He was terrific. I actually haven't seen him. There's two directors, British directors, Emmerich, uh, shit, Michael Powell, and fucking, what's the other dude's name? Uh, Emmerich Pressburger. That's right, Pressburger. And I saw The Red Shoes, fantastic movie about a dancer who gets these magic shoes that make her dance and dance and dance. And then they lost their career when they did a film called Peeping Tom, okay. which is about a, a guy who kills women while filming them. He like his tripod has a knife and that movie destroyed their career. They had a very distinguished career. They had a string of three great movies starring the captain in this uh -huh. film. And by the way, I'm going to play the audio when he's anytime he gets to a piano, we got to hear the whole thing. But um, the song he plays. Yeah. Well, he gives these speeches. Uh, he did the life and death of Colonel Blimp. I know where I'm going and a matter of life and death. Those are the three big Michael Powell, Emory Pressburger movies he did. So he's famous for that. He, uh, you know, he lived a while. He he was too young for the Royal Air Force. Uh -huh. So he actually worked, you know, doing some mission stuff. But he, he was in tons of shit. And I think in the 70s, he kind of petered off uh, his last acting role. Okay, here we go. Gotcha. There's a boat and the piano. There's a piano and a boat. Mm -hmm. Weird. It's, a, it's an upright, so it makes more sense. This reminds me of uh, the Hateful Eight when they give that big speech and the guy's playing the piano behind it. Oh, right. Oh, they, he's on TV. Yeah. He is. With ourselves. Now, there was a television in the old man she was interviewing's office, which I was surprised about, because this is 1951. They, well, they had TV in the 40s. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. I thought it was a fifth. Maybe it came, became big in the 50s? It became it became more affordable. You know, I mean, uh -huh. it was early adopters in the 40s. Gotcha. But it, it existed. Uh, Nothing at all. So what's interesting about this movie, Carl, if you remember, is that he does these elaborate speeches on his pian upright piano in his boat, and yeah. it's glorious. And at one point, he confronts his wife in her her landlocked house, his ex his ex wife, and there's a piano there, and he just I think he's talking to the husband. There's an just, organ. Yeah, he just kind of sits himself in front of it and starts playing while telling the story. It's great. Ah. Yeah, but go. remember this tell the audience yes. what he was saying while he was playing just last time what we just heard he was given a story about the fish that got away it's the story of a sailor and the love for the sea and the love for a woman and what calls what call they hear and what call they follow basically holly was a lily white and we loved her he she was our wife yeah, but you know the sea beckons, and off he goes on the frolic, and he leaves her, and she married a guy who we will fucking see. Yeah, fucking crazy movie. 
yeah, uh, this crazy farmer that they he's going to chase these guys off with a pitchfork. He was and a right military now, man at the time. Now, this is a great scene, Carl, because these bureaucrats show up, and they're all bootleggers. And the guy goes, would you like some brandy? I mean, uh, beer. Would you like beer? Uh, no brandy. Ixnay on the Andy brandy. Oh, yeah, that's right. All right. So those two, uh, pro- the two bureaucrats were talking about how they don't like this guy. He's a bit chill, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. So he's gonna browbeat this coast guard into revealing the truth of uh, of uh, bootlegging. He's like, hey, it must be really hate your job, right? It must really fucking sucks looking at the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like. But he it. doesn't like so English though. Yeah, well, he's trying to be aggro, right? Like he's like Captain America in this. Let's take a listen. Is there anything wrong? Wrong? You seem rather angry. You seem rather you angry. Out here, no. Well, uh, boring, I would say. Sitting alone here all day, you get a little well cross about it. I am cross. It's with teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the classic, like, he's trying to get information about it. Basically, they're going to. They do this wild goose chase, right? The bureaucrats, and they have nothing of it until the second act. And they show up and they go, what's all this then? Yes. And this has to do with us. And that's when the trouble fucking knocks off. But everything is crazy in this movie. Like, I lo- I have to say, like, everybody in this film is a genuine character. Like, it's not he just... Yeah, what a marvelous door. <laughs> yeah. It's what you're talking about. It's like the character of... Don't dawdle! Yeah. Well, the, uh, now here's another thing too. Like this director, Nigel Twist, by the way, the, uh, the last scene in this movie, what a twist ending, Carl. Mm-hmm. The director. Uh, the twist ending. I don't think so. You yeah. Didn't? It was, it was directed by Nigel Twist. <laughs> what a twist ending. Okay. <laughs> classic, classic twist ending. Saw it coming. Now, they're saying that this used to be – one thing about this area, is it was water, right? It was ocean. Uh-huh. Yeah. And basically, these guys are very dismissive because the marsh people, these marsh people, uh, basically, they made their income by building a wall to block the ocean and then claim the land. Right. The, the ocean receded, and all this wet, marshy land was left behind, and yeah. so they walled it off so the sea couldn't come back in. Right, and then they kept the land. And they're saying, hey, I see a bunch of cows on here, but, you know, you need to grow some fucking potatoes. Oh, that's what he says to the other guy. You could grow potatoes. But, eh. Yeah. 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 Too starchy. Eh. Well, why is it a agricultural problem? Starchy. <laughs> now, all right. This is why I like this movie. You present the pitchfork and some bureaucrats. That guy and they ran be- into where the bulls are, which I thought was crazy. Yeah, they run through it in those suits. But yeah, you gotta have the farmer chase them with a bull. If you fucking bring a bull, you know, bull pork, bull, bull pork, pork, bull pork, pitchfork, pitchfork. Yeah, look at them run. Uh, that they used to keep their potatoes in this bunker, and it was like a really, it was starchy bunker. <laughs> uh, I like that. Look at them. Yeah, fuck yeah. And then we get the big reveal. There's his wife, Polly. No, it's not a reveal. 
we're just meeting some farmer and his wife. But, but you hear their names, and you're like, oh, shit, these are, this is the couple that the captain was talking about. By the way, I have to say, let's talk about Polly, his love of his life. She steals this movie. Her name is Vita Hope. And I will show you. Well, actually, she hasn't been introduced yet. That was a neighbor. But when she shows up, she scratches her ass, Carl, and we got to call out that, okay? Okay. Like, you know, when you wake up, you stress. How do you wake up when you're on the, on the camera's playing? Yeah. You get right. up, you scratch her ass. She does it, and it's fucking hysterical. <laughs> when she sees the boat, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's married to the director, Nigel Twist. Oh. She died in a horrible car accident in 63 while they were still married. That's uh, too bad. They were in a turnabout, and she crashed into a lorry. Okay, that's a that's a, a truck in. Uh... Yeah, and a roundabout is a roundabout in England too. Or what do they call it? Car- what are the round circle roundabout? Now, anyway, so they're saying like I told this reporter, and she's like, "Oh, she's uh, Tom's son, a uh, daughter. She's all right. A real marsh girl, don't you know?" There we go. That's my favorite line. A real marsh girl. I don't think we'll have any trouble with her. <laughs> Well, they have uh, they still got another load, and they're like, "Well, we can keep it and let these uh, bureaucrats go." And they're like, "Fuck it, let's just take it." So they're gonna go and take the the booze. Now they're accelerating their 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 bootlegging run, but the problem is that the weather's not great. No, the weather is not great. Now the thing is, she's like, he's like. This reporter snooping around, and now we got these bureaucrats. We better quit. We better just stop being a smuggler. We can do it later. You keep calling it bootlegging. They don't call it that. But then he goes, yeah, but we got the last shipment. It's it's out there on the ocean right now. And he's like, well, that won't do. Of course. We, okay, the this will
This is the Found Round Sound Show going down. We've got to thank uh, Community Thrift for most of this. And then also Sean from Bugout Square on Tuesday. Let me fill in for his show, so listen to those. is what we do with it. I feel that those of us in television are chosen to be servants. It doesn't matter what our particular job. We are chosen to help meet the deeper needs of those who watch and listen day and night. The conductor of the orchestra at the Hollywood Bowl grew up in a family that had little interest in music. But he often tells people he found his early inspiration in the fine musicians on television. Last month, a 13-year-old boy abducted an 8-year-old girl. And when people ask him why, he said he learned about it on TV. Something different to try, he said. Life's cheap. What does it matter? Well, life isn't cheap. It's the greatest mystery of any millennium. And television needs to do all it can to broadcast that. To show and tell what the good in life is all about. But how do we make goodness attractive? By doing whatever we can to bring courage to those whose lives move near our own. By treating our neighbor at least as well as we treat ourselves. And allowing that to inform everything that we produce. 
Who in your life has been such a servant to you? Who has helped you love the good that grows within you? Thing that we produce. Who in your life has been such a servant to you? Who has helped you love the good that grows within you? Let's just take 10 seconds to think of some of those people who have loved us and wanted what was best for us in life. Those who have encouraged us to become who we are tonight. Just 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time.
Just what does he say? I'm on a 
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> 